Thank you for tuning in to our Restoration Life podcast. Don't forget to rate and review the message and share it out with your friends on social media. Can't wait for you to listen in next week. Now, a couple of scriptures here that I want to um, just put out there, just to kind of lay a framework, is in Ephesians 2, um, I just want to read the verse 19 of that, and it says this in Ephesians 2, 19. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Ephesians 3, 6 says, and this is God's plan. Both Jew Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promises of blessing because they belong to Christ Jesus. Romans 11, 17 says this, but some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel have been broken off. And you Gentiles who were branches from a wild olive tree have been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. I want, I want you to take note of just some words that I'm talking about in here, uh, specifically how God is saying you're part of his family now. And as, as and being a part of the family, there's a rich inheritance that's a part of being one of his children. And that there's blessings that you get as being a part of his children, according to the scripture. And also, then, then we go over a little bit, and I just want you to pay attention to Abraham. And it says, Abraham's tree that you're a part of, if you're part of this family tree, now there are blessings that are released to you as, as a, a byproduct of being engrafted into the Abraham tree. So I just want you to take note of that. Now, we got to spend some extended time since we've been out here with your pastors. We, when they were back in the East Coast and when we get time, we spend time with them, and it's, it's awesome. And, and, and one of the things during this time that we were spending with them is that we were, I guess, rediscovering may, maybe is a good word of how much alike that we are in, in different ways. Um, our, the, our wives are talking, uh, my wife Virgie and Roxanne are talking, and they're saying, oh my God, we got so much in common. We must be sisters. Oh my God, we both like to comb our hair. We must be sisters. We like to go shopping. We must be, no, no, I mean, more elaborate stuff like that. I just don't want to put them out there. But they would, they would talk about these things that they have in common, and then, and then me and, and your pastor, we, we were talking like, man, we have a lot in common too. That, you know, I think like that. That's how I lead. And, and, uh, and so just enjoy their company because of the similarity. And that's what we do, right? When we, when we find people that we have traits in common with, we feel like family. We're like, man, we're, we're like family. We're just like, we're like cousins. We're like, we're, we're like the same in a lot of ways. We're like from the same family tree. Are you sure? Like, come on, let's, let's go through our 23andMe or Ancestry.com and find out if somebody didn't have some shady things that we don't know about that we're actually <laughs> related. I don't know. So, so family traits come from a family tree, right? Like in your family, you're looking at the traits that, you know, your brothers and sisters, right? Like, yeah, that's, that's my... That's family. 
And they just got back from Puerto Rico, so they're kind of looking at me. It's like, yep, that's his brother, right, right? So I was like, man, got the same voice and all that stuff. And uh, there's a lot of differences, but there's a lot of similarities because we're brothers. And, and so the, the family traits, you can see it there, and it's like, man, they have things in common. They must be family. So I, I want to state that because, because I, re, I read these scriptures, and when, you, when I was reading these scriptures, it talked about how in the family tree, in Abraham's family tree, in being a part and being God's children, there are these family traits that we should possess, and these family traits are that we should be prospering. We should be blessed. The scriptures that talk about us being the head and not the tail and all those different things. So there's a, there's a richness, there's a blessing that is a result of the family tree that we're connected to. So for me, I grew up in ministry, but it, uh, it was back when we were, before we were pastoring, that I looked at just, you know, we were doing ministry, I was doing youth ministry, we were working at the church, we were working for an organization, and I just started to wonder out loud, why are we struggling financially if we're, if we're part of a tree? Is that the way it should be? Is that the way it should look? You know, it's, it's one of those things where your children, you buy them the clothes, and sometimes you buy it so big, like, you're going to have this for the next 20 years, so just don't worry about how big it is now. You're just going to, 20 years, it still fit, you know, in one form or another. And like, hey, don't throw away those shoes. Those shoes are going to your brother. That, 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 that's going to work as long as we can work it. And, and then I, I grew up in a family in particular that we had government assistance and all that stuff. And, you know, we get those blocks of cheese. I don't know if it's like that out here, that they weren't sliced up. They were just a block of cheese. And you put a knife to that thing, it made the best grilled cheese sandwiches. But when you cut that thing, it never came out straight. It always looked like a door wedge, right? No way can relate. Some good, good sandwiches, like I said. So... But that was sort of my upbringing, my family. I started asking questions, man, does it have to look this way? Does this, why are we financially struggling? Why is it hand to mouth? Realizing that in my upbringing, we, you know, our whole thing was we live by faith. We live by, we're going to believe God. And so we're going to be faithful to him. We're going to do all those things, but we're going to, we're living by faith. And that's exactly what I saw growing up. And God did provide. God, I could tell you stories of his provision and what he did but I just started questioning this like is it really supposed to look like this that in the ministry we're kind of barely getting by and struggling our family is this and we don't have enough left over to save or do any of these things and so I I looked at my family tree and I realized that there was there was struggle and in sort of like barely getting by type stuff in my family tree and then I look at the scriptures and the word of God, and it seems like it's contrary to that. Like being included in the Abraham family tree brought prosperity while my family tree didn't look that way. And so, again, in my upbringing in church, there's just things that I just grew accustomed to, and then I just started to push against the mentality of the family tree that I was connected to. I've had conversations with my dad since then, and it's, it's been really good. And he agrees that they, there was sort of a poverty mentality that kept us limited. And so it's, it's awesome. Now, now we're at a place where um, for, for the things that we have observed, the things that we've practiced, 
as far as what God has taught us in the scripture, as a church, we own a campground that's worth millions of dollars. There's just things that have happened. We've seen financial breakthrough in our, our, our people and the churches, house ownership, economic, all these different things since we've been kind of teaching and helping people get out of this wilderness mentality into a land flowing with milk and honey mentality. And what that means, not just to live by faith, but how to steward what you have so it's able to multiply. Amen? And so that's... That's a little bit of, of, of background on that. So here's some of the things that in me, like, trying to say, okay, what do I need to learn here and understand so that I can not just prosper to prosper, not to have possessions and then be possessed by my possessions, but how do I become blessed to be a blessing? Because there's things that need to be done in the kingdom that sometimes can't get done in the kingdom is because of what's in the account. We, we talk about, you know, the churches and people that have a hard time with whatever, tithe giving, whatever. And uh, I remember a pastor friend of mine came over and he said, okay, this is what we'll do. For those of you who don't believe tithe is for now and all that stuff and don't want to give to the church, we'll have a non-tither, non-giver section for you. And that section, you'll, you won't have seats in it because you don't tithe, so you, you don't get to have seats. There'll be no rug. There'll be no sound system. I don't know how you're going to work that out. There'll be no roof over your head. There'll be no electricity. So, so that's great. You don't want to do that, but understand, as a result, this is what you're saying is okay, that you ha don't have all these other. So it was just the point that he was making is that when we give, it allows us in the, to advance the kingdom, to do things so that we're able to, you're able to receive the word of God with whatever air condition, a roof over your head, and you're able to also see that uh, churches are being planted and things are happening and your children are blessed because the giving that happens in the house, it shows that you're thinking about another generation and you're thinking about the society around you when you give. And so, so some stuff that I just started finding in scripture as I said, okay, confront this mentality that I have, God. I'm willing, let me look in the scripture for myself. I started reading materials on it and just diving in because, again, I'm not talking about prosperity gospel and how that's all like, you know, it could be an extreme, but another extreme can be poverty. The poverty thinking versus the, the prosperity gospel. And so I hope you don't receive any of it like that. Um, but we will look at the word for what it says and, and what it implicates. For example, the Bible talks about money around 2,000 times, so that would say it's very important. Prosperity is part of the covenant. It talks about it. That key in Deuteronomy, it talks about I've given you the power to create wealth. I, 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 uh, being a part of my, uh, part of that is your ability to create wealth. He just says, don't get all prideful and arrogant and let your possessions possess you, but I am blessing you so you can be a blessing to nations, to people around you. And, and one thing that people would like to point at, which I had to confront myself, is Jesus wasn't poor. Jesus wasn't poor. Kind of quiet in here, but let me help you with that. Jesus wasn't poor. Upon his arrival in the manger, there was wise men that came from the east, and what they brought with them between the frankincense and the myrrh and the gold was so much so that it, it, it sort of resourced, and it gave Joseph and Mary the ability to move back and forth from Egypt. They were able to 
move it with ease now. And some believe that it actually became a dowry for Jesus in his ministry. How else are you going to pay for like 12 hungry disciples? Food, lounging, and all that food and stuff like that. If, if Jesus was poor, why would he need an accountant? Judas was his treasurer. How do you need, so he has somebody who's actually handling the resources. When he went to the cross, the Roman soldiers took from him his seamless robe, and they, why were they gambling for it? Because it was worth a lot of money. And so all those things speak of the, what, what he was wearing on him, the treasure he had, uh, the things it, he had, there was money that he had. The, heaven talks about, or, or we read the description of heaven, and it's like, man, the streets are made of gold. That's just on the streets. The gates are made of pearl. So there's, as, as you can see, it's pretty lavish. And pro, it's, it's, finances and riches are not a thing to God. God doesn't need our money. You know that, right? God doesn't need our money. It, it's, it's what, he, he wants our heart. And he knows that our heart is where our treasure is. And so as we give our treasure, our heart usually comes with it. And they said, that's what I want from this exchange. Financial terms that are illustrated in the, in the Bible, like our walk with God, what does it say? Things like accountability. That's a financial term. It talks about a debt. Forgive our debts. It's a financial term. We look to be reconciled with God. Reconciliation is a financial term. Wages of sin financial. Redeem or redemption is a financial. So, so again, a lot of that language, a lot of stuff, God understands that whole economic system, and he doesn't shy away from that. He wants his children to know how to leverage that, how to steward that, what that should look like for their lives. So that helped me a lot when I just started looking into those different things. It just started to break down that the word of God talks about money. I need to understand it from its perspective so that I don't find myself in this struggle anymore. What if God can teach me and show me how to do that? What if he can show me so I can help our church to be able to go into that? I don't know if you know, but in Philadelphia, in the specific area we're in, it's like a food desert. Uh, financially, we've got this whole thing that they put together statistics, and the, the, the medium wage income is between um, twenty to twenty-five thousand dollars, twenty to twenty-five thousand dollars that people are making a year annually. So that's like the average with the households. And so again, a lot of people are in government assistance. And I know for you in California, like that's like you po po, you can't you you po, you ain't even poor. You got eliminate the O R, you po. And so yes, it's so that's the demographic of people that we're working with and dealing with. And uh, we're just trying to give them renewed thinking based on the word of God. And we're not looking to take advantage. We're looking to give them revelation so they can come out of that. And that's exactly what's been happening. So here is the, the story I want to sort of camp on, and then we'll close. I want to talk about the, the story with Abraham because we're engrafted into his tree. Abraham was asked to leave his family, disconnect from that tree, and he's like, I'm going to do something different with you. And he asked him to come out from the, the family tree that he was connected to. So he pulls him out. And the things that God is saying to Abraham as he's pulling him out from, from his comfort zone, 
from the prosperity and all that stuff. He's saying, I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to bless you. Many nations and generations are going to come through your seed. And he's old. and doesn't even have children. Him and his wife are old. They don't have children at this point. And he promises those things. And he promises them do, to do that. But there's no, like, house. There's no location. He just says, trust me as I take you on this venture to almost make a new breed of people. Almost, almost like knowing that we as a people might have to come out of our own family tree, like Abraham, in order to get to his family tree, but somebody had to start the process. And maybe some of you here today are going to come out from your family tree into the Abrahamic family tree today and, and understand his journey and how it ended in a fascinating way. So in this, Abraham is, finds himself, or, or the story is, where Abraham, and he took his nephew Lot, and his nephew Lot chose to disconnect from, his, from him to go to Sodom. And it was not too long after that, that four kings conspired to come together to go against the, some of the like, other kings and the nations around them. And so those nations around them got five, it says five kings came together, one of which was Sodom, the king of Sodom, got together to face them. So now they're at war with one another, and these four kings defeat the five kings. And when these four kings defeat these five kings, one of the things these four kings do is they pull, they pull from the places that they conquered all their possessions, their family, their riches. They just plunder them, as they would do in that time, and they just take it with them. And part of what they took was Lot and his family uh, with the plunder. Abraham hears about this. Abraham doesn't have a nation at this point. Abraham chooses to take 318 of the men that were born in his house and go after an army of four kings that just beat five kings in, in their nation, all the people with them. He goes after them, and as he's going after them, he defeats them. So they're, so they're defeated by Abraham and his faithful crew. And it says, Abraham took their possessions, including his, his, his nephew and their family, took them all and brought them back with them. Let me read some scripture here today so you know I'm not sacrilegious. Because we need to read scripture in church, so let's do that. Genesis 14 this is at the, the point in the story where he comes back. I'm sorry, I already said that part. Maybe 17. After Abram returned from his victory over Clodomir, sounds like somebody out of Harry Potter, and all his allies, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shavim. It says, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, say Salem. Salem. And a priest of God most high, brought Abram some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with his blessing. Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. Do you ever hear people say, well, the tithe didn't start till the Mosaic law came in and this was, it actually happened in Genesis, but it is one of the first times it mentions a tithe. 
is Abraham gave a tenth of what they had um, received from that, that victory. And then it says, the king of Sodom said to Abram, give back my people who were captured, but you may keep for yourself all the goods you have recovered. Abram replied to the king of Sodom, I solemnly swear to the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will not take so much as a single thread or a sandal thong from what belongs to you. Otherwise, you may say, I am the one who made Abram rich. I will accept only what my young warriors have already eaten and request that you give a fair share of goods to my allies and our Eshkol and Mamre. So I just wanted to show you that there so you can kind of see for yourself what's going down. Abram, as he comes back from warfare, he's met by two kings. Can we say it this way for the sake of what we're talking about here? He met two family trees. Two family trees were presented before him when he got back from the plunder, when he got back from getting paid, from his hard work, his blood, sweat, and tears. Now he has finances. And you know how it is. People show up when you got money. When you got some money, isn't it funny how friends call all of a sudden? All of a sudden, everybody shows up. It's like, where you been? Well, I knew it was payday, and I know what you get paid. Let's go hang out. And, and so people just show up. They, so here are two family street trees that show up upon the payment, upon the prosperity that Abram was experiencing because he just leveled up. Abraham was building his wealth, but upon this victory, he just leveled up exponentially at this point. And two family trees show up. Two kings show up. One is Salem, the king of Salem, which Salem means what? Peace. Peace means what? Something is, there's nothing missing and nothing broken. When we speak shalom or, or, say, or, or, or peace to your life, what we're saying is we wish that nothing be broken, nothing be missing, that you are whole and complete. So here is a king of Salem of, 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 that's bringing peace with him, and here's the king of Sodom. And they have totally different mindsets when they come. Let, let, me, let me say point one is this, is that there's always warfare around finances and financing the kingdom. Always warfare. You ever, you ever like, like, like in church, you feel it sometimes, right? Like they know you're coming up, and it's probably not at this church, but these other churches, when they start talking about finance, everybody gets... I mean, they're having a good time during worship. Hands are up. They're high-fiving, chest-bumping everybody. And as soon as he talked about, it's time to give. They're like, what are we, planking? Like, why? what just happened there? Things get stiff and, and people. So there's always warfare. You know what's the most expensive real estate? Expensive real estate in the world. Israel. It's the most expensive real estate. What's the most hostile real estate in the world? Israel. There's so much hostility around it. We've been there two years ago. There's so much hostility around it. But it is the most expensive real estate in the world. Tourism and all the things that come through that and just, just, just what God says about that piece of land. There's no fight when you want to go and buy some clothes. There's no fight when you want to go to a concert. We were making fun of our people because they just had a J-Lo concert. That was it. It's like, so was there warfare around you going to J-Lo? And everybody was quiet. And some people were like, ooh. No warfare. 
of how much money goes into being a part of those things. No warfare when you want to get your hair done. It seems like just, you just get money from anywhere and everything. You find change. You work it out. There's no warfare around those things. So, so here's what I discovered. I'm going to finally be able to use that diagram. So uh, just to show you the encampment of Israel. The encampment of Israel is interesting. I don't want to go into a, This is not going to be a deep study. I just want to show you something really quick here uh, with this picture. There, the tribes of Israel would break up in four different encampments, and they're showing you in the back here. I just want to show you this one encampment here. How many know Judah goes first? There's good teaching in this house, right? You know Judah is praise? Amen? So Judah is praise, and Judah will always go first. But look what's in his encampment. Judah, which means praise. Then you got Issachar. Issachar is a picture of the prophetic. But Zebulun is sometimes the thing that's overlooked. We get warfare because these are the first things to go and to break open the territory would be this encampment right here. That's why Judah was so important. So we know that praise is important in church. Amen? You know praise is important, important because when you start to praise, it does the warfare for you. God begins to go out and he, it begins to defeat things. And so there could be warfare that keeps us from praise, praising. But once we praise, we win the war, right? So there's, there's, so there's warfare against praise. People, we get breakthrough through praise. So there's warfare around that. And there's also sometimes warfare, there'll be warfare around Issachar. Issachar is the prophetic. That's why they, they, there can be abuses of prophetic. And people don't know what to do with the prophetic. But when the prophetic is done well and done right, it can help a people establish a thing and move something forward. So there's warfare around the prophetic as well. You'll find that in churches, how that's released and how that's done. But finally, people don't realize that Zebulun, there's also warfare. Zebulun is not the prophetic, it's not the praise, but it's the financier. Zebulun, which was known for the ships, was known as the financier, the one who would, uh, the business people that would bring in the finances and bring it to, to be a support to the move of God. Was Zebulun. They had the business acumen. They had the, 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 the finances. So we look at this, and what I want you to notice is that there is warfare around each of those things. We get it when it comes to praise. We get it when it comes to prophetic, but it's also around the finances. Because you can, you can praise something, and you can prophesy something, but unless you have the finances, it will not establish the thing you just praised about. Or the thing you prophesied about and believing God to do. Can you say amen? So we need all of those things, but we need to understand there is warfare around financing the kingdom. There's warfare. Abraham brought the warfare, and, and, and when he brought the warfare, and he was willing to give generously of his resources to win the war, he comes back financing and being a blessing to one of these two kings. And then... Another thing that we can see in the story is answers to real problems attract affluence. That's a good tidbit there. If you want to know how you can attract affluence or influential or people of affluence or of means, find a problem and solve it. Because when you find a problem and solve it, money will move towards you. I like the, I like the show Shark Tank. 
So I watched Shark Tank, and, and I love to hear the ideas. There was one particular thing on Shark Tank that there was these, these people who created this thing called Luminade. And what it would do is it, will, it was solar-powered, it was inflatable, and they also, I think, made it so that so it's very portable, it's, it's easy to package and, and to have things in bulk, and all you need is solar energy. It would, it would, it would power up the battery, and you're able to charge, and you're able to light up an area. So they were saying for people that are in emergency situations and, 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 and people that are out in the bush that don't have uh, electricity, they created this product. Those sharks were fighting over funding this project because it was a real problem that they had just found an answer to. I believe they got like a, something, a million, some, some ridiculous amount, and they're doing well, but they solved the real problem and affluence was fighting to fund it and to invest into it. Find a problem to solve and affluence will find you. I call it like the answer anointing because the answer anointing has these four components, creativity, wisdom, excellence, and favor. Creativity possesses those things or answers, yeah, or, or answers possess those four things. Solomon had an answer anointing. And even though he had a lot, he had affluence that would come towards him. And Jesus had an answer to mankind, and affluence always came toward him. From the beginning when he was born with the wise men to the day of his death, when a rich man said he could be buried here, affluence always moved towards the answer. I told you we live in a food desert. We've just recently um, been able to get these truckloads of food, organic, fresh farm food that gets donated. And so they donate, what was it, 16, 24 tons? 24,000 pounds. 24,000 pounds of food that we get like twice a week Trucks come down, they drop it off, we, we put it in the front parking lot, we let the community know, and the community comes, and they line up, and we're able to bless the community. Now, uh, since we've been doing this, from the first time we started, we're like, okay, we're just going to go for it. We just knew it was an answer to a problem that was happening because we live in a food desert, and this was fresh food. This wasn't like potato chips and like snacks which I wouldn't mind that for myself, but it's a food desert. We need some healthy stuff, the stuff that your pastor doesn't always appreciate in his eggs and his and stuff like that. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I was just finding out if you're still paying attention. So, so the veggies and all that stuff, that we're, we're there, and, and they bring it out, and our, the people come out, and as a result, hospitals have partnered with us. As a result, these other churches have come and say, how can we partner together? And what we do with them is they volunteer, and then what, they, they take loads of it back to the, a Russian Orthodox community or, or to this over here, and then we've also been able to bless a rescue mission. And, but affluence... Is coming in. We told our church about it. Hey, we just need this amount of money to keep this going and be more predictable. And money just came in to be able to get these, these trucks more consistently and on certain days. When you find a problem and you're willing to answer it and you step into that with, a, with an answer, affluence will find you. This is what Abraham was doing. 
He was solving a real problem. Here were four wicked kings that were coming in and just ransacking the place, taking family members out and just plundering and bullying people. So he says, well, I, guess I got 380 men. I'm going to solve it with a few men. I'm going to take this little seed and go after this mountain. And he took the seed of people. He took the small remnant, and he became an answer to that. And as a result, when he comes back to war, who comes to him? Two kings, two family trees, two people that had means. And that's what I want to talk about finally with this. When you have means and when you come from that payday, there's a temptation of which family tree you will trust in. Which family tree, because we're trusting in one or two. It's not like, well, I'm just going to avoid both of them. No, no, you're trusting in one or two. Sodom and that family tree, as you read in the scripture, is very selfish. They're selfish. They're like, give me, give, me, give me what belongs to me. Give me what belongs to me. And, 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 and that stuff that you keep, is, is they're basically looking at that as, well, if you keep that, then that's part of your success kind of belongs to me because of what you've kept for yourself. And so they're very selfish. Sodom is very selfish and self-absorbed in the way that they deal with finances and money. That's one family tree. And then you have Melchizedek who comes, and what is his response after this man who has all this money and means now, Abram, when he comes back, what does he do? Does he ask for money? He's like, hey, hook it up. I'm a high priest. This is, I'm part of the kingdom here. Hook it up. What does he do? He's, he blesses Abram. This is what the kingdom does. The kingdom first comes to bless and as the kingdom blesses, there's a response, there's an impact of that blessing that calls, when you're grafted into that, results in you being a blessing back into the kingdom that blesses you. Sodom is about taking, and, and, and King Melchizedek or Salem is about your peace, your prosperity, your wholeness, your blessing. And it says that Abram gave to a tithe to Melchizedek. Abram, upon that, would find out later and given to Melchizedek, it established for generations to come prosperity. It says it in Hebrews 7. I don't know if you've ever seen it before. It blew my mind when I read it. It says this about Melchizedek back in Hebrews 7, 1 through 10. It says, then this Melchizedek was the king of the city of Salem and also a high priest of God Most High. When Abram, Abraham was returning home after winning a great battle against the kings, Melchizedek met him and blessed him. Then Abraham took a tenth of all he had captured in battle and gave it to Melchizedek. The name Melchizedek means king of justice. The king of Salem means king of peace. So he sowed into justice and he sold into peace. There was no record of his father or mother or any of his ancestors, no beginning or end to his life. His pre he remains a priest forever, resembling the Son of God. Consider then now how great this Melchizedek was. Even Abraham, the great patriarch of Israel, recognized this by giving him a tenth of what he had taken in battle. Now the law of Moses required that the priests, who are the descendants of Levi, must collect a tithe for the rest of the people of Israel, who are also descendants of Abraham. But Melchizedek, who was not a descendant of Levi, 
collected a tenth from Abraham. And Melchizedek placed a blessing upon Abraham, the one who had already received the promise of God. And without question, the one, the person who has the power to give a blessing is greater than the one who is blessed. Let, let, let me move it along a little bit. In, in verse 10 it says, For although Levi wasn't born yet, the seed from which he came was in Abraham's body when Melchizedek collected the tithe from him. This is profound. I just like, you know, I'm a nerd when it comes to that stuff. I mean, I and it's kind of a mind blower. Abraham, Levi wasn't even born yet. He was still in the body of Abraham, if you will, in seed form. As soon as he gave to Melchizedek, what it's saying is that that connection and engrafting into that family tree was going to result in a blessing to what was in Abraham's family tree so that Levi, later on, would live off of the tithe and the prosperity that the rest of the Israel would supply because of Abraham's obedience over here. He gave into an eternal priesthood and affected his great-great-great-grandchildren. See, there is something about when, whenever we, we have finances or whenever we're blessed, that if we have a poverty mentality, we'll be like I was, be maybe like my father was in some ways or some of us can be, is that we come to a place where we meet two family trees. And what are we going to sow in? What are we going to give first to? It's either Sodom, meaning I'm just looking out for me and mine. I need to take care of me. I got to make sure I have enough. I mean, I'll make sure, and then if the crumbs go to whatever else, I may donate it to God or whatever, or donate it to the church. But we have an opportunity to either be connected to Sodom's temporary pleasures and all those other things when we use our finances to just fund ourselves and be a blessing to ourselves and, and just do the basic things in life. Or we, as we come into the kingdom or we come before the family tree that is evident or reflected into the house of God that we come to, when we bring our tithe, which means first and it means tenth. It's not your second. It's not your second bill. It's the first thing you get. When I told that to my church, they blew, because a lot of them, the first thing that they pay is not their tithe. I said, no, tithe, it needs to be a first, or it's not a first fruit. It's not like, well... I just pay that when I get to church on Sunday. And that's what, it's like, no, if, if that's not the first thing that's coming out of, it's not really your first and it's not really your tenth. There's something sacred about giving your first. Your first are forever. And so I, 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 I taught them that. And so many people, businesses and all that stuff, things started to change when they realized the tithe and the offering of what it looks like. So when we give to the Melchizedek order, what we sow into is prosperity and blessing that comes from that kingdom. Because what is the Melchizedek order about? Your peace and justice. And that begins to flow to you when you connect to it through your giving. Can you say amen? Last testimony. Somebody wants to come up here and play something. That'd be great. What does John Morgan say? Play some romantic music in the background. It makes us sound so much more holy. Anyway, um, I remember we, we were just, me and my wife were just at a, 
a church. And, and we had gotten, we just come through a season where we were having to finance our daughter's wedding. So that was expensive. And help out with some other things. And so we were kind of like, we were running on empty, real close to empty there. And we got to go, an opportunity to go to uh, this church that was in New Jersey. And while we were there, I mean, this church is like, you know, mega church, big church like this one. It was big church, really elaborate. You're looking around and like, they are so blessed. This is so awesome to be here. And the pastor gets up. And by, mind you, we are, I think we were the speakers during the time, right? So he asked me there to, to minister. And we're just there. And we know we're at this, you know, we're tight, real tight. And um, just because of the season we went through. So while there, we kind of turned to each other like, man, this would be good ground to sow into. It'd be good because we, we know this principle. We're like, we, we don't have that much left, but let's just, let's just give. You know, our mentality could have been easily, they don't need it, right? Like, usually we give from places where we feel like it's usually from a place of compassion. Like, we, we're more prone to give when there's, like, high need. But what do you do when it's not like you don't see needs around you, but you know you have a need inside of you? When you know that you're not. So, so for us, it's like, man, we, we're not hating on this. We appreciate this. This is awesome. This looks like it'd be awesome ground. So we looked at each other, and sure enough, we gave. And it was pretty much the last of it. We're just like, man, can't wait for payday to come again. But that's what it is. And we're pretty much dried up after that. But we gave, and we were excited to give. It was like, this is awesome. This is awesome. So I think probably about a day later, or maybe a few hours later, uh, we are blessed financially. And we look at what we're receiving, and... I don't know, it, I, this might have been one of the few times, because we've been blessed twice over. You ever hear that? Like, yeah, I got double for my trouble, you know, or I got triple. This was the first time we got 100%, like a hundredfold blessing. A hundred. Now, we didn't give a dollar, because you're probably like, well, you only had a dollar in your bank account, and that's what you sold, and you got a hundred? No, 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 we, we, we gave a little chunk there, and we got a hundred times more, hundredfold blessing for what we saw. Can you just appreciate on the fact that, man, that was so cool. We didn't give from that place, but we know that when we, when we give and we sow into the kingdom, we're not robbing ourselves. We're not a deficit. We're, we're engrafted in to the richness that flows from that faithful tree, that faithful. So money does grow on trees. But it grows on the righteous family tree. It, it flows from that place. And riches come to you. Why? Because then you become blessed to be a blessing. And so I just want to, I don't know who this would be a blessing for, but I wanted to bless you there with that today because I just, I just, I see a lot. I hear a lot. This is the first time I'm meeting you guys. But God just put, pressed on my, on my heart that this would be, one of the Praise Chapel fellowships that would just be able to increase and enlarge and grow in understanding of what it looks like to be blessed, to be blessed. You already are a blessing, just like Abraham was already a blessing. But there was something about when he practiced these principles and stepped into that, he leveled up. And his leveled up 
caused nations around them and people around them that in their time of famine, they prospered and that you might be the same way. And I just, you know, I know we can be in church sometimes and still have a poverty mentality because I sat years in church. It was hand to mouth. And it wasn't until I actually confronted the mindset because of the family tree I was connected to that kept me stuck that we began to see ourselves come out of that place and bring our church out of that place and I want to see our neighborhoods brought out of that place I want to see transformation happen to the city of Philadelphia so the only way we're going to see transformation happen it says when the righteous prosper a city rejoices so righteous people need to start prospering because righteous people know where to put it they put it into the kingdom and the kingdom transforms the culture 